I'm Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True, True Crime, Crime New England. England. Welcome back to another exciting week of true crime and being in New England. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk about a different kind of true crime aspect today, but before we get started, um, this lovely lady that I work with, her name is Drea. What she does besides work is <laughs> she rescues cats from the South where their kill shelter volume is really high. Yeah. So she rescues these cats and kittens from death row. She mm-hmm. has a whole bunch of them coming up that she needs homes for. So if anybody is interested in a new fluffy friend, <laughs> they're so cute. You can find more information. Um, she has a Facebook group. It's called All Paws Matter Rescue on Facebook. So That's you can a cute find name. Yeah. Um, and then even if all of this new shipment of kittens gets claimed or, you know, people claim and have mm-hmm. homes already set up for, she always has cats and she's always rescuing right. more. So if you guys want a new fluffy friend. <laughs> I know I'm looking for some new kitties. Uh, I'm moving to Portland soon. I'm going to have my own apartment for the first time in my life. So exciting. Which means my mom can't tell me what to do <laughs> and I can get my own cat. Yeah. Finally. And I, like I was telling you, Katie, I want a bonded pair like siblings where they grew up together and were surrendered. Doesn't have to be kitten, can be an older cat, pair, doesn't even matter. I just want two bubby like two bubbies to call my own. So I'm definitely gonna be contacting her yeah. and saying, Hey, keep me in mind if you got two that you really can't find a home for, I want them. Awesome. So it's pretty exciting. I think having a a, mi- a mission like that is so brave and yeah. that's tough. It's it's really tough. It's so important, too, because, I mean, we're really good in New England about spaying and neutering mm-hmm. animals in general, and our shelters can afford to do it, but in right. the South, there's just such a high volume. Oh, yeah. There are more kill shelters than not, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I remember I used to work at PetSmart, and we would get shipments of kittens, basically, from down South that people were trying to save from kill shelters. Yeah. Happens a lot. My own cat, Tallahassee, is from a shelter down Aww. South, so I... I love the mission she's doing. I think yeah. that's great. Super important. So yeah, all pause rescue on Facebook. Definitely join. Give it a give it a like a roo and get yourself a new buddy. Yeah. I know I'm going to be using it and I can't <laughs> wait. Mostly cuz I get to defy my mother. <laughs> oh, and if you guys don't have room for a furry friend at the moment, but you still want to help, um, any donations would be awesome because, you know, they need vet care and a lot of them coming up are sick or, Mm -hmm. you know, if you just want to donate some food or toys, that would also be really helpful. Always really helpful to do things like that. Old blankets, old Mm -hmm. towels. People don't realize how important those things are to shelters and people who foster. So great stuff there. Yeah. All right. Now with that little rescue talked about, uh, today we're just going to do very simple, very wacky uh, cases out of Vermont that uh, definitely something interesting to talk about. Yeah, it's a good break from all of the murder, yeah. um, but it's still true crime and it's it's really fascinating, actually. It's really cool. It kind of gets your gears going. So mm-hmm. without further ado, today we're going to be talking about the Flying Circus disaster and other aviation accidents in Rutland, Vermont. Alright guys, so we're going to be talking about 
a few isolated incidents in Rutland, Vermont, that kind of make you go, what the fuck? <laughs> They're well, so crazy. Why did they keep trying and going on with this and it's they let things, I don't know, we'll tell you guys. Before we start, per usual, sources. Katie, go. I found a whole bunch of information on New England Aviation's website. That was really helpful and also really fascinating. Mm -hmm. They have pictures, too. Some of them are on our Instagram, so super informative. Um, New York Times had an article on one of the disasters we'll talk about. And then there was also, I found a clip from an article. It was written in November of 1922, and it's from the Rutland Daily Herald. So that was cool. Oh, pretty vintage. Yeah, very cool. Nice. I got also a lot of info from New England aviation history. Apparently there's a whole um, network for that. Yeah. I also got some stuff from newspaper articles, some called Flying Parson and Crew Killed. Cool. I have another one called An Airfield and an Aviator, as well as a whole article about Belvin Maynard who is one of the subjects of our main topic here today. So we wanted to do something that was a little a little lighter than what we've been talking about in the past episodes. Yeah. Something more lighthearted, uh, also something in Vermont, mm-hmm. which we were looking for. Um, obviously, you know, if you listen to Maura Murray, that was her end destination was Vermont, but we didn't have any content actually in Vermont. So we thought it's about time we give it a little visit. So this one was to Katie's suggestion and I had never heard of it and it's pretty fucking weird, like some wacky shit. It's so crazy. So the main kind of situation, incident, disaster, what you want to call it, um, it took place in Rutland, Vermont on September 7th, 1922. Vintage. So let's set the scene here. It's Labor okay. Day weekend. Warm. It's, you're on the fairgrounds. It's their fair. The whole world is in sepia tone, <laughs> in black and white. People are gathering at the fairgrounds for the amazing flying circus. Now this is a yearly thing. This is an annual thing, yeah. And it's very popular. Very po- so popular that thirty thousand people had gathered to watch this unfold, w- which is crazy. Thirty thousand people in today's amount of people is like. 31,000 people. No. <laughs> is it like the whole town of... <laughs> yeah, it's the whole... Yeah. It's the whole state of Vermont yeah. in the 1920s. <laughs> exactly. So, it was a huge deal. People were deal. excited. They always came for this event. And aviation was just kind of getting its footing. People mm-hmm. were really excited. Well, it wasn't exactly, like, safe. <laughs> no. Um, once again, the picture of the plane that was involved in this main incident is up on our Instagram. It, it looks like it's made out of paper mache. Truly. <laughs> Toothpicks and paper towels, yeah. I think is what I told you. Yeah, for real. I mean, it's 1922, so like the stunt planes were a little... <sighs> they shouldn't even have had stunt planes. No, they should not have crazy stuff. So this day, September 7th, 1922, went down in history because not one, but two incidents happened on the very same day. At this fairground. So you could say it was a complete shit show. Correct. And the worst part is, is that this one tragedy happened, and then a few hours later, they were still going on with fair events. We're like, sure. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it'll get better from here. It didn't. (laughs) No. So you have your first incident of Mm -hmm. that day, which was a plane with three people in it. Most notably, Lieutenant Belvin W. Maynard. Yep, that's a name that I never want to come back. (laughs) Belvin. Not judging, but I am. Poor guy. He was um, 
Actually, I have a little bit of information on Belvin if you want to go into that. Absolutely. He, he was known for his aviation stuff. He was a star. He was born in North Carolina in 1892, so he was still he was about 30, I think, when this happened. Um, he was very talented at, with mechanics. There's a report saying that at 17 years of age, he could take an automobile, yes, they called them that back then, <laughs> completely to pieces and put it back together with the greatest ease. That's like, really cool. Yeah, he was like a, an OG mechanic kind of guy. So he was really smart, obviously very talented. Um, he was a seminary student at Wake Forest Theological Seminary in North Carolina when he was drafted to the war, World War One. Um, more specifically. And this kind of sucked for him because he did love being a preacher. Uh, that was like his life calling. But then he got into more mechanics in the war, and that was his calling. He loved aviation. That was great for him. He became a chief test pilot and tested hundreds of planes, which is dope. Very brave. That's something I'd be very scared of. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. You're testing these planes? Oh, yeah. And in the oh 1900s, like the forget early... It. Oh, forget it. I'd no. rather get the Spanish influenza, I <laughs> yeah. think. Um, he actually holds a world record, or he did at the time, um, for completing 318 loop-de-loops in 67 minutes. What? In, in air. That's yeah. really crazy. Such a unique record, but sure. Wow. I mean, again, that was o over 100 years ago, so I'm sure it's been yeah. broken, but... Cool. Very cool. Especially back then. That? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, he was also known internationally because he won, I don't know why the fuck they did these, <laughs> but a transcontinental flight across America. New York to San Francisco. He did a flight. He won. It was a race. He won. And that's how he was known. This was in 1919. Wow. Yeah. So he was big on planes. Yeah. So his nickname, too, he was called the Flying Parson. So if you don't know what a parson is. I don't. Um, it's kind of, it's an olden term kind of, it's for an ordained Christian person. Okay. Usually responsible for a small parish. So he could um, give marriages. I don't know what the correct term for that is. Yeah. Like ordained. Ordain, yeah. Yeah. So he ordained marriages. Yeah. Um, so he was called the Flying Parson because... He actually performed a marriage while flying his plane over Times Square. So quirky. So, yeah, he got the nickname the Flying Parson. And so he cool. was on this plane that day. Yes, he was flying it, I believe. And then there were two other men on the plane. Mm -hmm. Another lieutenant, his name was L.R. Wood. He was just a passenger. And then Charles Mayonette, who was the mechanic. So they all three of these men were on this plane. Mm -hmm. And they were in this... <laughs> this air show. It's like rinky-dink, yep. this rinky-dink plane. Yep. I feel so bad. It was practically see-through, I feel like, because <laughs> the walls were made of fucking gossamer. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> giving a break. Yeah. It's crazy. So this was not something new to Lieutenant Maynard. He knew what he was doing. This mm -hmm. was something he did regularly for shows, um, which is why part of this was so fucking sad. Mm -hmm. What happened? They're doing their aerial tricks. That was their whole thing. Their performance was doing pretty much like loop-de-loops and spins mm -hmm. and a bunch of cool stuff that would make the spectators go, ooh, and ah. It was very cool. It was very them. cool. And they had actually, they had been practicing this for an entire week, and they felt like they had their entire routine down, and turns out um, they did not. Things happened. Things happened. So at 1 p.m., these three men took off in the plane to perform a series of aerial stunts in front of the crowd. 
So at 2,000 feet above ground up in the air, Maynard was performing a tailspin maneuver mm. where you kind of nosedive and he wasn't able to pull up out of it. Mm-hmm. And they crashed into a cornfield right at the edge of the fairgrounds yeah. in front of 30,000 people, killing all three men on impact instantly. Right. I read somewhere, and I, again, this is all the things that... It was 1922. A lot of different things were said about, like, how many people, you know, when the time was and stuff, so it can be kind of confusing. There was one article I read that said, well, all three men died on impact, and then there was one article I read that said that Maynard was still alive when he was found. <gasps> no. But he died very short. Like, he wasn't really, like, a, like alive. He oh. was... He had a pulse, but he wasn't alive. Um, but he died, like, very shortly after. Like, it was very immediate. That's horrible. Yeah. Either way, I wish, you know, for their sakes that they would die on impact. So it would course. be nothing. They wouldn't feel anything. So I hope I hope that article was wrong, to be honest, because that's terrible. Wow. Now imagine being a child with your parents at this fair eating like a corn dog oh, or whatever they did whatever. in 1922 <laughs> whatever whatever their fair foods were in 1922 oh my God. probably the same thing honestly probably, yeah. but imagine watching this plane tailspin and nosedive into a cornfield at the edge of the fairgrounds like in front of your very eyes and the crowd is screaming there's and probably a fire a small fire yeah, smoke at least and then you know everyone goes and runs over and there's three dead bodies that were just moments ago alive really sad it's horrifying now, you would think this would make the fair close down for the rest of the day, right? Of course. Everybody goes home. It would probably... Oh, right. So sad. Oh, sorry that the fair had to be cut short this year. What a bummer. Oh, no. The no, show no. must go on, The apparently. show must go on. I don't know why. It's not... doesn't sound like it was all that great of a show, but they, uh... No. Continue. They kept it going, and God, I wish they hadn't. <laughs> Because another life was lost. Yep. Tragically, also, of course. Of course. Henry A. Smith, who was also called Daredevil. Um, I'm not really sure how Daredevil compares back then to now, but it's... Because now it's just stupid. Back then it was because they had lack of knowledge. Right. Now it's for, like, a bar stool video or something stupid. But back then it was, like, really scary stuff. Yeah. Let me tell you about Henry A. Smith, a.k.a. Daredevil. He was an aeronaut never heard that term before and he was known for giving parachute exhibitions that was his thing he was a parachutist and it would always involve him jumping from a hot air balloon those Mm -hmm. were big back then those were like the deal well on this very day he was doing his normal thing he was in the hot air balloon he jumped he opened his parachute it opened a little and then it closed and it did not open again and he fell to his death. Now, there's some speculation on the height at which he was at. I saw 3,000 feet one place. I saw 1,500 feet another place. It's kind of speculated. Yeah, I saw 3,500 feet in yeah. dinosaurs. Yeah, so it's... I think it was a little less than what... Or just about where the other plane crashed, like mm-hmm. that height. But it was still very close to the ground. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's a good way to fall. But back... Like, now we know planes get up to, like, 35,000 feet. But... Right. So he was up a good, I mean, a good ways, of course, you know, whether it be 3,500 or 1,500, but he jumped, his parachute didn't open, and then he uh, hit the ground, and I believe he was killed on impact. 
He was killed on, on impact, yeah. He hit the ground just 100 yards from the main street fence of the fairgrounds, and he was killed on impact. So again... Can you imagine? This crowd is watching. It, it wasn't even like the wind blew and right. they fell out of eyesight or something. Right. They their impact was seen by the entire crowd. And can you imagine if you're just, like, walking into the fair? La la la. Yeah, that's the main your, fair crowd. That's the main street, right? Oh, my God. And you've got your two, like, little kids. I imagine they're probably wearing bonnets and, like, sure. a roughly dressed. And they've got, you know, they're, like, so 1922. And then they all of a sudden, a fourth man dead. I, that would be it. For, I don't think I would return to the fair. No. You would think you wouldn't I return would, to the fair. No. I would have thought that they would have canceled it three hours earlier when the other three men died. So what's crazy about Henry A. Smith, a.k.a. the Daredevil, um, he had been doing this kind of thing for 10 years, and then just two years before this incident, he escaped death. He was in an accident in 1920. Mm. He was set to jump from a plane flying over Lynn, Massachusetts, but the pilot lost control of the plane and crashed. Mm -hmm. Smith, a.k.a. the Daredevil, fell (laughs) 8,000 feet in the air, and he somehow survived... But the pilot died. The, yeah, the pilot died on impact. So um, that's very terrible. I'm glad Henry, you know, lived. I mean, you know. Till this day. Till that day. But that's that's scary. And he kept going, which is very brave of him. Mm-hmm. Now, guys, I wish, I wish I could tell you that it stops there. But it doesn't. No, it does not. Unfortunately, well, I don't know if it's unfortunately because it's you know, 2021, but this fairground is still used to this day. To this day, yeah. They have state fairs, and 4-H brings their cows and pigs and It's a normal fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a normal fair now. Right. But what we discovered while doing research for this was that there was not one incident that happened, but six over the course of six different years involving airplanes or hot air balloons. Mm Mm-hmm. So clearly, this kind of brings into question, is this fucking place haunted? Is it cursed? What's going on? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, what's happening? It wouldn't be out of reach to say that maybe it was on top of an Indian burial ground. Sure. I mean, come on, it's America. Let's be real, yeah. Nobody is immune to that. So, um, I don't know. These cases kind of make you think, like, all right, some stuff going on. So, like we just said, that was 1922. We have some more. Um, I don't even know where we begin. Ooh, September 6th, 1916, a 38-year-old man named Samuel A. Libby was giving an exhibition at the Rutland, Vermont Fairgrounds, but of course. Um, The exhibition was a balloon parachute show where parachutes would be attached to a hot air balloon, and then he would deploy the parachutes and ascend in the balloon. Mm. So on this day, he wanted to use not just one, but four parachutes. I don't know. I literally have no part of my brain that says, oh, that makes sense, because right. I just don't get it. Right. So the thing is with this kind of situation is in order to descend safely, you have to now deploy not just one parachute, which would have been probably doable for someone like this at that time. Oh, absolutely. Four parachutes. It added to the danger and the thrill of the act, and he right. said he wanted to give a more thrilling performance. So once the hot air balloon reached... An altitude of 1,500 feet, Libby began to cut away at the parachutes. He was able to cut away the first one, the second one, the third one, and then the fourth one, but the fourth one failed to open. So he descended and plummeted to his death, and he died on impact in front of onlookers at the fairgrounds. And 
this is the crazy part. The next fucking day, they had an 18-year-old boy replace Samuel Libby. They said, oh, R.I.P. Okay, you, Chuck, get on it. It's your time to shine. This kid, brave as fuck. He had never been on a hot air balloon before, let alone doing something like this. Parachuting. So he did it. The next day, his first time in an air balloon, he had only one parachute, though. And he did it. Nailed it. Just fine. Survived. Looked great. People were cheering, eating their corn dogs. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't understand. And you guys, while, again, looking at that, I found another one. Even earlier than that one. September 2nd, 1913. George Schmidt, who was 23, was doing an exhibition flight, which he did from the Rutland Fairgrounds, like all of these stories. Sure. He was accompanied, and I don't know why he was accompanied by an assistant municipal court judge, but he was. And his name was J. Dreyer Spellman. So he, there was a pilot and a municipal court judge. I don't know. Oh my god. It sounds like an intro to like a really bad joke. <laughs> yeah, a seriously. municipal court judge and a pilot walk into a bar. No, stupid. Anyway. And by the way, this judge was 22, so clearly oh. they didn't have law school back then. <laughs> um, at just about 500 feet, they noticed that the motor started to skip and misfire. <sighs> well, you can probably guess what happens next. George Schmidt, who was flying the plane, was trying to, you know, fix the, the direction of the plane, was trying to get down to safety. It didn't work. So, unfortunately, the plane crashed. Now, I don't believe this was in front of a whole bunch of people. I think this was just a general, like, exhibition flight. Unfortunately, George suffered a fractured skull, a fractured hip, and a fractured jaw, and he died before he could be removed from the wreckage. Now, the municipal court judge, J. Dreyer Spellman, who we love, he was pinned against a hot radiator. Oh, and, no. Yeah, and was suffering major burns, but he ultimately lived. And it later came out that he panicked and, like, broke a control wire, and that's why the plane crashed. Oh, wow. Because he was just a passenger. He wasn't, like, an expert. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so he freaked out, and it ultimately caused a crash and the death of George Schmidt, who, again, was only 23. Very sad. You know what's so fucking crazy, guys? It doesn't stop there. <laughs> September 2nd, 1930. William Vaughn, his wife, and their friends, Howard Chandler, his wife, and their nine-year-old son, Russell, are driving in their automobile. They're going on their way to the fairgrounds. It's like three in the afternoon. A whole fun day is ahead. We're talking petting zoos. We're talking pushing a wheel with a stick, probably. We're talking maybe those really old games where you threw like a horseshoe on like a bottle. I literally couldn't tell you anything else because I don't think anything existed. <laughs> um, but they were just driving and they were getting close and all of a sudden, a hot air balloon crashed onto the roof of their fucking car and completely enveloped the car in the balloon, like in the whatever, nylon balloon. Mm -hmm. And... I'm happy to say that these guys, they were all okay. It just probably like all of a sudden, like, what the fuck? They were covered <laughs> in a up. balloon. Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? And this guy, his name was DeForius Dickinson. He was 21. This was his act, okay? I almost pooped my pants reading this. <laughs> his act involved 
being launched from a cannon. Stop. Yeah. Which was suspended from the balloon. I don't even know. I don't, I don't know how the logistics of that would even work. I don't either. <laughs> I, I don't fuck? either. You know how earlier I said it was like, now we're stupid. Back then they just didn't know. I think that was stupid. I, yeah, I think we can. Yeah. We can say that they were actively stupid. Holy shit. And this balloon was about 5,000 feet above the ground, which is the highest we've said so far in terms of, like, height. Yeah. So, 5,000 fucking feet. Now, he left... Dickinson left a cannon. He dropped about 1,200 feet, and then his parachute opened, and he was fine. He nearly missed some, like, electrical wires, which, now that I'm reading it, I'm like, did they have those back then? It was 1930, so maybe they were starting, but he, uh... Missed those, he landed safely, he was okay. And that's when the balloon lost its ability to fly, fell rapidly, and enveloped the car. Luckily, the man who was driving, Howard Chandler, was able to bring the car to a stop and everyone was okay. <laughs> I have no words. <laughs> and it just keeps happening. Planes, hot air balloons. And it's all around the same weekend. It's all around Labor Day weekend. Yep. Every time. Every time. September 2nd, September 7th, September 6th. It's, oh my god. This is like ridiculous. And they are just like, every year they're like, you know what? No, we're going to keep doing it. Yeah, you know what? Maybe this year will be different. This year is going to be, uh, not to brag, but we're killing it. Nobody cares. It's the 20s and the 30s. Everyone's dying of dysentery anyway. We don't have vaccines. <laughs> cares and so they said let's add to the death toll sure it doesn't stop there <laughs> there's one more 1934 june 24th unlike the rest of these these aren't this wasn't a part of the fair okay however it did take place over rutland airfield of course it general did. of course it did <laughs> where else would it be you have one perfectly good airfield you don't need to make more <laughs> who cares if there's a whole bunch of craters from other crashes and there's you know, big graves where people just died in, on impact. Who cares? It's a perfectly good plot of land. Crazy shit. So, 11.30 a.m., Captain H.H. H. Mills of the 118th Observation Squad for the Connecticut National Guard, that's right, I said it, was flying a plane over the Rutland airfield, as you do. I think he was just flying over it, like he wasn't starting there he wasn't that wasn't his end goal yeah he was just kind of cruising overhead he was flying he had nobody it was just him in the in the plane but for some reason this popular destination another plane it was they were um a survey crew a photographic survey crew for the government Mm -hmm. i guess yeah at the exact same time was flying a belanca monoplane don't know what that means, but that's what it's called. He was flying at the exact same time as Captain H.H. Mills. So they're flying, and then, bam. The two planes, they fucking collide, dude. I don't understand. What is it? Was it (laughs) foggy? Like, could they not see each other until the very last second? I don't get it. I don't understand how they were at the same exact elevation and the same... That's the same trajectory. There's a lot of sky, like, to go up and down. You you would think. I guess not. Wow. So this, it kind of sucks. So Captain Mills was ejected from his plane. He was okay. He he ended up landing safely. He had a parachute on, which was standard back then. Everyone had a parachute on when they were flying. So he he had a minor head wound, but he was okay. So that's great. I'm glad for him. Um, 
The other thing, though, the Blanca monoplane, it disintegrated as it hit the earth. Like, as it came down, it disintegrated. It disintegrated? Uh-huh. Was that made of paper towels, too? Probably. What the Well, hell? let's get real. It's 1934 at this point, so at least it's, like, good paper towels. Right? I mean, are we cutting back for the Great Depression? Oh, you're right. She, she, this, she keeps me in check. I don't understand how this... Okay. Yeah, so it, it, you know, it disintegrated as it came down, and it dropped its engine, and also dropped the two men. Oh. Because, well, I mean, it disintegrated. So these two men, they were instantly killed, unfortunately. I don't have their names either, which is unfortunate, but... Yeah, they were killed. I'm happy to say that's it for Rutland, Vermont... Wow. There is one oh more little my tidbit. God. Um, so the first man we talked about, the September 7th incident, the Flying Parsons, um, Marner. Yes. He left behind a wife and four kids, and the American Legion decided that what better way to memorialize him and raise money for his now widowed wife and four children would be to hold oh. a flying circus. Oh, my. As a fundraiser for him. Wow. <laughs> Um, it was held in New York with members of the Army, Navy, Postal Service, and civilians in attendance. And luckily that went off without pitch, without any <laughs> incidents. It's almost but, like saying, oh, your dad died in a shark accident? Let's have a fundraiser where you can swim with sharks. Yeah, let's have a shark tank. Like, give me a break. What the fuck? I don't understand what their obsession was, nor do I understand why they would do that. I, I don't know these things. I don't know if people, like, literally had brain cells back then. Or if they had any other way of entertainment in small town Rutland, Vermont. Death is the entertainment by fiery plane crash. Who knows? You can't make this shit up. Isn't that crazy, guys? We were just, you know, trying to do something lighthearted and kind of, like, free. And then we were doing research and we were like, why is there so many? Why didn't they learn? Right, what happened at this one? We found one incident, the first one, and then we found so many more that happened. So, you know, we just had to mention all of them. Keep going and going and going. Sure. But just to switch it up from the murder and the bloodshed. I mean, this was was violent too. There were a lot of lives lost here, but... A lot, actually, yeah. Now that I think of it, at least for like six or seven. Yeah. Yikes. And they were like, la, la, la. Let's see you next year. (laughs) What mysterious fun things will happen next year at the Rutland Fair? God. I don't know how they do it or why. Happy to report there hasn't been any incidents since that 1934 crazy fest. Yeah. And the the state fair they do now usually is a hit. And it's, (laughs) you know, what you can imagine with the... 4-H kids bringing their cows and pigs and sheep yep. and, and you, funnel cakes oh, and getting ripped off by, <laughs> yep. by carnies at the games, yep. getting ripped off. You could win like a goldfish in a bag. Sure. Never take those goldfish, guys. I can tell you officially that they will die. They're called feeder fish. They die in like a day or yeah. two. <laughs> Fairs are just blah, blah. Yeah, I I personally, I used to love them, like the mm-hmm. Stratum Fair, I used yes. to love it, and then now looking back, I'm like, why would I get on a ride that was built in a half hour? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Honestly. Where are the state and federal regulations for these things there for aren't. safety? There aren't any. No. The only reason I would go, I'll be real honest, is two things. Fried dough. Of course. And the petting zoo. Yeah. Because I love animals. So cute. So cute. I always would go and, like, I'd get the little cup for the goat food, yeah. and I, they'd come up in their mouths. They're like, bleh, bleh, bleh. Anyway. <laughs> so this this week was an easy one. 
a good one. Something to just yeah break up the break up the darkness i mean this is a good kind of in between between the sheila episode we just covered which was pretty dark and then our next episode is going to be kind of heavy yeah so this is a good one and it was fun to do yeah and back to the heavy shit yeah we'll see you guys next week for another heavy hitter all right bye bye